I'm Laura. And I'm Kara. And we're here today to talk to you more about intake at Indianapolis Animal Care Services. Mm -hmm. Intake is the process through which um, animals enter our building. And we touched on it um, some in our last episode, but just to recap a little bit, they can come in through our animal control officers responding to calls from citizens. They can come in through our intake door, which is physically at the building. Mm -hmm. We take intakes by appointment, which is the preferred method. It's a lot less stressful. It's a lot less wait time for the person surrendering or as a walk-up. Got it. Yeah. I've seen the lines. The lines can get pretty crazy, Mm -hmm. especially during the summer. And with the way our building is, there's no like intake area outside for people to wait. It's basically like a mob in the back end of the parking lot Yeah, uh, with chairs we've kind of cobbled together (laughs) for people to sit in. Uh, We tried to make it look somewhat okay, but... That's something we're hoping for uh, in our new building is a much nicer intake area for people to wait. Because of the way it's laid out, um, there's not really a clear process like who's in line next. Mm. People get upset. Mm-hmm. People with appointments come up and someone's been, you know, maybe waiting for two hours because they didn't have an appointment and then an appointment waltzes by them. Right. People are yelling at each other. And it's already stressful as it is. It's already stressful as it is. Dogs and cats are just kind of out in, you know, on leashes or in carriers. We try and encourage people to wait in their cars, but they are hesitant to do that because they're afraid they'll lose their place in line or they Mm -hmm. won't hear when their name is called, which is understandable. Sure. So it can be pretty hectic. We started the appointment system earlier this, well, it's 2020, so that would be last year, earlier last year, to try and alleviate some of that crowding. So you can call or email the shelter to make an intake appointment. But what we we really want to do is stop and help before we get to that point Mm -hmm. where you're coming to us. We have a couple programs that have started um, over the last couple years. Indy Cares is a program through the city that started from with some shelter employees at Daniel Hines and Ashley Temple started the program, I believe, if I'm correct, in 2018, to kind of divert intakes before they even come to the shelter. So it's its own entity now with its own funding. Oh, wow. It's really grown. Uh, to, and they are, their goal is to raise money and provide that money to people who need one-time help to keep their pets. Oh, okay. They do mm-hmm. a lot of um, assistance with parvo, mm-hmm. minor, oh, yeah. minor medical issues, spay-neuter assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, they've branched into behavior assistance, so IndyCare's if you qualify, can have a trainer come out and help you keep your dog in your home. If you just need some basic behavior assistance, they can give you, or the shelter can even give you, you know, a crate, food, any, you know, basic supplies you need to keep your pet. This is fabulous. Um, I'm actually going to share this where, where I work. So I'm a social worker and I work at a agency that uh, works with a lot of uh, low income seniors and we get a lot of um, calls out actually through the social workers. Like my my client can't keep their animal for various reasons. A lot of it is because of they can't take care of a member because of sickness or a health mm-hmm. problem or something like this. So this is going to be amazing. So I'm going to be able to pass that along. Yeah, and you should. And there's other resources for them too. Fido, another wonderful organization, has their pet food pantry. Um, it's the first Saturday of the month where you can go and get uh, food for your pet. They do have, and each of these organizations has their own you know requirements they need people sure. to abide by. So if you're interested in those services, you need to reach out. They're all online where, you know, to know that you'll qualify or you have what you need when you get there. So you're not wasting your time and transportation getting there and then not having, you know, what they need for you. So despite the thing that frustrates us at the shelter is despite all of these programs and appointments, we are still inundated with animals constantly. 
Yeah, I know. I saw the post yesterday that you guys only had 10 more kennel spaces left. Like yeah. you're really close to that being <clears throat> crates in the hallway kind of situation. And it's, it's constant. <clears throat> yesterday alone, we took in, I think, 13 owner surrendered dogs. I mean, all for various reasons. We just can't figure out how to stop mm-hmm. the flow, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. And it's, it's a fine line because our purpose is a shelter. I mean, the definition of a shelter is, you know, to provide aid and care and literal roof over your head if you need that assistance. And we want to provide that for these animals. We have to balance that, though, with our ability to care for the animals, which is our capacity for care. We right. only have X amount of people that work in the building. We have X amount of cages where we can house the animals. Right. So how do we house the ones we have humanely and take care of them? And are you guys, like, because I've seen the crates out in the hallway and that kind of stuff. So if you had 50 dogs surrendered or, you know, through the various... That makes my eyes twitch. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just, because because of, like, the rules and the laws and everything, I'm assuming that you have to take them in because there's really nowhere else for them to go? We have to. We're an open intake shelter. Okay. So we we can make, we can have appointments. Yeah. We don't have to take in the animal that exact second that you express a need that the animal needs assistance or you need assistance with your pet. But we do have to make arrangements to take that animal. The exception would be a sick or injured animal or dying animal. And of course, you know, if that's the case, we're going to be right. You know, you need to come in right now. So our medical team can see what's going on. But at the end of the day, we do have to make arrangements for any animal that needs to come to us to come to us. Yeah. Or divert them to another organization where they can take the animal, but we can't just close the door and be like, sorry, can't help you ever. Right. Yeah, yeah, we're full. Sorry. And we wouldn't want to do that because then you know, what's happening to these guys that if we're just shutting the door and turning them away. Well, they I mean, end up being the strays. They end up being the strays. People right. just dump them and then someone yeah. picks them up and then they come to us as a Regardless. stray. Yeah. And then we know nothing about their history. And right. It's just well, the, and you almost you, you would want them to bring them versus the other alternative. Like you said, a stray, a dog on the street, which is not safe for various reasons or neglect where they just, mm-hmm. you know, throw them in the back and, or like I've seen in the basement or whatever, you know, like you'd rather them come in and be able to help them that way than have a, a call for the animal control officer. Oh, absolutely. To. And that's, that's the stuff that wakes me up at night sometimes. Like what happened to that, that mm-hmm. animal, you know, that person that was screaming in the parking lot that they were going to dump the dog because they showed up an hour and a half past when intake closed and everyone was leaving the building and we had no cage space. Right. And we said, come back tomorrow morning. We'll give you a crate. And they said, I'm going to dump the dog. You know, I think what happened to that dog? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's that we have to also draw our line to care for the animals we have in the building. Right. And our staff too. We can't, working in animal welfare can be a really emotionally draining can't even imagine. Feel that we can't say our, to our staff, oh, you can't leave right now, even though it's time for you to leave because we need you to take in this animal for this right. person that came an hour and a half before closing time. Because mm-hmm. then you're going to burn out your staff. Yeah. And I, I know the staff that I've been inter- interacted with a lot. You guys have like very long-term staff and they're super dedicated. So you don't want to burn them out. We don't. It's People either, you know, run run from the building <laughs> screaming or they're, or they're like, you know, this is where I want to yeah, be. Yeah, they're in. Yeah. You either kind of, you know, get that itch to work for, to work in animal welfare or you're like, okay, this isn't for me. Maybe mm-hmm. I can help in another way. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of our, our cycle we're stuck in is decreasing these intakes and finding ways to help yeah. and balancing that with caring for the animals that we have in the shelter. 
And it's all to avoid what no one wants to talk about, which is euthanasia. Mm-hmm. There's a very simple way to to solve the problem, but it's the worst and most horrible way, and it's what we're trying to avoid. Right. Yeah, because your guys' statistics have gone <clears throat> up. Yes. Since, like in the last, what, seven, ten years or something like that? I can't remember the exact number. They've gone but- up significantly in the past three years, okay. three, four years. Our save rates really jumped. And it's not just about the numbers. I mean, we don't want to put an animal back out. Our dog, I mean, we aren't really dealing with super dangerous cats. So. <laughs> uh, but we wouldn't want to put a dog back out into the public, right. you know, that has seriously injured someone. Right. Um, or, that or you we, feel like, yeah, they could. They could. Or that we can't handle safely mm-hmm. or that has killed another dog, mm-hmm. uh, has sought out and killed another dog. I mean, there are animals that... You know, we you know draw the line and say we just can't, as with public safety in mind, you know, put this dog back out into the world. Right. And yeah. So we've had to get real creative with, you know, adoptions and fostering and reducing intake to keep from euthanizing. But it's it's the worst feeling. Well, not maybe the worst feeling, but it's an awful feeling when you know that there are you know five or six dogs waiting outside that need to come in. Right. All the cages are full. We've got six crates in the hallway. Right. There's no adopters coming in through the front door. Right. And it's just like, what do you do? Right. Yep. Yeah. And like we talked before, you're not going to be able to adopt your way out of this. No. And also, you want to, I know that you guys have been really focused on getting away from the kind of like the bad stereotype of the the kill shelter, because that's what I've seen Mm -hmm. just with my small interaction with it is that people still have that like uh, you know I've seen posts and told you about them like where they're like she has 30 more days and that's gonna be the end and you know um and that's what you guys are trying to do all these programs to prevent and that is a perception that's still out there that we run into all the time and we at our shelter which I'm very proud to say we do not euthanize for a length of stay Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how (laughs) long you sit there there is there are dogs that have been at the shelter for a while and then been euthanized because of something that happened, mm-hmm. which is heartbreaking because we always think if they just would have gotten out sooner, know, they wouldn't have been so stressed. And they would have been so stressed, and mm-hmm. you know that incident maybe wouldn't have happened. And a lot of it is a result of the shelter stress they're under. You know yeah. when they've been a long stay and suddenly they you know they bite or right. they get out of their kennel and you know choose to go and attack another dog which is tragic. And fortunately that happens very rarely. Like that's a, an extreme situation. Our long stays are more vulnerable to that. There are more vulnerable yeah. population. Yeah. Cause I just posted about five, the five yeah. that have been there for what? hundred days. Yeah. We have uh, several right now. Sarah Lee, Cora, mm-hmm. Bryant, Bryant, Sonia, Sonia. There's one more. It'll come to me. I can't remember, but yeah, I posted about them last night. That's Oh, um, Cabana, Cabana. Cubana. Cubana. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and they all, they have, you know, kind of quirks or special needs where they're not going to fit seamlessly into, into every home. So they really need that right fit where yeah. they can, where they can flourish. But we feel strongly they're going to be able to find it. And we're just hoping that they find that placement before they aren't able to stand being in the shelter anymore. Right. But we have a pretty high success rate with our, our long stays. I don't want it to sound all, you know, doom and gloom. Most of them do get adopted. They do. Yeah. Um, Returns are something else we struggle with at intake. Yeah, there's when you take a shelter dog home, they're not going to instantly be acclimated to your home and your family and be okay. Like there's there's a time period there mm-hmm. where they've got to get used to the the environment. And we've also been working to 
counsel people once they take a dog home, especially our long stays, yeah, to try and keep the animal in the home and give them behavior assistance and help so they oh, don't just come right back. Mm-hmm. The home scholarships and yeah, stuff like with, that. Yeah, we have a, a scholarship program for training and a couple other great programs our volunteers have thought of to try and, I mean, they'll reach out directly. A lot of our volunteers, if it was their favorite dog, you know, they'll well, get permission what, to call mm-hmm. and follow up and see what they can do to help. And, I've seen that. Well, two things, because like you said, if a dog's there for two days, you may not even know the dog or even see the dog because yeah. they go so fast. But then once they've been there longer, that's when the staff gets to know them. You know, because they've been there 100 days. And then I noticed, like, on um, the little cards, it will say, like, someone's, um, this pers- this dog's bonded with so-and-so. And then you're able to go to, you know, Larry or something like that and be able to talk to Larry because that's, like, kind of like um, we took out the dog, uh, Appa. Oh, yeah. And then his buddy was. Corey like, came up and was like, this the, is my friend. Yeah, yeah. like somebody's he's really special. And then be able to tell us, uh, you know, quirks and things he likes. And, sh- and that's when we found out he knew how to sit pretty mm-hmm. because he had that special relationship. That's awesome. And it's like you don't. You don't find that out about a lot of our dogs until you have a chance to really spend that one-on-one time with them. Yeah. Which is why we started the buddy program for staff. Because we'll learn things like, oh my gosh, you know like six different tricks. Or right. you're really good at this. And then we can advertise that and promote that. And, and that's what people like to read. You know, yeah. so-and-so, you know, I read one that was funny. It was like, um, this, she thinks that squeaky toys are evil. <laughs> and it was like, but she loves balls. You know, she's like, do not get me a squeaky toy. They're evil, but I like ropes and balls and I will play chase all day, you know? And I yeah. was like, that's great. Now I go home and I know. Because they're all these little individuals, but if we don't like get that information and put it out there, when people walk in, I feel like they just walk into this like sea of cages and it's right. hard it is. to differentiate who you want to have and who right. you want to take out. And yeah, and, and who you think they are in the kennel may be a totally different dog outside of, of the kennel. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. Some of our dogs that are playgroup rock stars and do really well playing with other dogs, we don't have them on the adoption floor because they're so barrier reactive. Oh. You know, they throw themselves up against the cage and sure. it's all from frustration because they want to get out and play. Sure. But to an adapter, that just looks like, oh, good, crazy. You know, ah, <laughs> why would I even walk past uh-uh. you? Much less consider you taking me home to my family. Uh, so it all really ties together, but I feel like it starts with intake. It starts with keeping animals at the shel- out of the shelter that don't need to be in the shelter. Mm-hmm. And our medical department has been really instrumental in making that more of a reality. And we've been trying to break down some stereotypes to make to keep animals with their people. We mm-hmm. had a cat named Gary that came in last week. Oh, great name. Great name. Mm-hmm. Gary was a, is a great guy. He had um, ear polyps that needed to be removed he went to his vet the quote was more than he was able to afford sure so he came to the shelter and ear polyps can be a chronic condition they can come back and indicare is because they have such a volume of requests and limited funding they focus on kind of one-off one-time situations they can't commit to you know a chronic care situation Um, so they came to the shelter the man was very upset he really didn't want to surrender gary Uh, we talked to our medical staff our vet said that he would um, remove the polyps, examine the situation. You know, we'd give him a call. Yeah. And so uh, Dr. Jabrota looked at him. He determined that, you know, he felt Gary would be fine to go back home. We educated Aww. the adopter, or not the adopter, really, the owner, that, right. you know, the ear polyps, um, you know, could come back. Mm-hmm. And we gave him some medication, just some hydrocortisone cream, I believe it was, to or a steroid cream to put mm-hmm. on uh, to hopefully help with that. And 
And now Gary's back home instead of on our adoption floor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and where he's comfortable and he knows and he's loved. Yeah. And that's, that's where you want him to stay. Because putting a cat on the adoption floor that says, this cat has a chronic medical condition and mm-hmm. you may need to spend you know, dollars in the future to, I mean, there are people out there that are going to say, that's fine. I have yeah. those resources. I want to adopt an animal with special medical needs. Mm-hmm. And those people are angels and Amen. they save so many lives, but not everybody can do that. Right. So we want to keep animals like Gary that already have a home back in their home. Right. We have gotten some pushback with that. Oh. People think that if you are, not everybody, I mean, but there there are people who think that if you're bringing an animal to the shelter, if you can't care for your pet, Why then you probably you shouldn't have a pet. Mm. Or if you need resources, you shouldn't have a pet. Mm-hmm. Like if you have to go to the pet food pantry, you shouldn't bring home another pet. Mm. And it's it's a hard mindset to to get people out of because everyone wants, and I think it's coming from a good place. They just want these animals to have the best possible care sure. and the best possible home. Sure. And the thought is if this person is, you know, paycheck to paycheck, can't afford basic medical care, what's going to happen if this dog gets really sick, are they going to take it to the vet or, you know, the shelter can't sustain helping every single medical case that comes through. And that's true. We cannot, right. We just happen to think, you know, we can help Gary. The doctor right. had case the time to case. look at him. It mm-hmm. was just, it all came together to work for him. It's going to happen regardless. You can't prevent it. Like people, if they want a cat or a dog, will find their way to exactly adopt a cat, find a cat, you know, like we, we how many kittens have we found in our alleyway? I mean, like you just go in our alleyway during the springtime and pick up a new pet, you know, <laughs> right. like we, assortment of colors, oh, male, female. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We, we've uh, rescued three now and they're all food names too, of course. But, um, but yeah, like I, like in, in my, my job, I, a lot of my clients have pets and I see the benefit of them, but they're also paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and all that, I know all that kind of help is appreciated because that's when we get the calls of where we work about a help, how to help them. So, yeah. And there's there's a lot of people in our city and the surrounding counties that are paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty much paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we've got to realize that just because you don't have a ton of resources or money doesn't mean you don't have a lot of love in your heart right. and you can't give a homeless pet a great life or just because you have to reach out from time to time doesn't mean... And it takes a lot, I think, to ask for help. I mean, to go yeah. somewhere to strangers and say, mm-hmm. I need help. I mean, there are people that take advantage of it. But sure. to go and say, I need help, that. to ask for that, give them your pet and right. put their life in their hands mm-hmm. and just kind of hope for the best because you know that's their best chance. I think that takes a lot of courage sometimes. Oh, I totally agree. And as as you know, and as you know, I've learned, we're not going to be able to adopt our way out of this. No. There's just not enough people. So we also have lowered our adoption fee at the shelter too. Even though we can't adopt our way out of it, we mm-hmm. want to make it accessible for everyone yeah. to adopt a pet. Because I think this month is it is it five dollars? It's five dollars. Yeah. And yeah. it was when we when we, we got blue. I was shocked. Yeah. Yeah. I was shocked by that. Because I we just you know, it, yeah. I mean, and if you don't have five dollars, you don't have five dollars. I mean, it can be a lot of money depending on your situation. But right. I mean, I accidentally spent five dollars on my <laughs> matcha oat <laughs> latte this morning, so it can. It's not you know an insurmountable amount of money. No. And then you can put the rest of the money that you might spend on an adoption fee into you know supplies or training, right? Whatever else you may need for the pet without it, you know, going just for the fee. Exactly. Side note, you can also donate the rest of the money to. Yes, that's a brilliant idea. Family. Was it friends of? Friends, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
The Friends of the... Friends of Indianapolis Animal Care Services. Yes. That might be another episode. So yes. we'll, we'll put that pin it. There you go. <laughs> or donate it to... Yeah. If you don't want to donate to us, you can donate to any rescue. Yeah. Exactly. Or any of the programs that we just mentioned. Indie Cares, Fido Pet Food Pantry, lots of places that need help. And I do want to add the most crucial thing that anybody can do who owns a pet, no matter where you get it, to keep pet population down across the country is to spay and neuter your animals. Please. Please. <laughs> and it's not just here in Indianapolis. It is everywhere. It's everywhere. There are plenty. There are plenty, plenty. to choose from. Yep. We do not need more. Nope. There's plenty all over the country. There is, mm -hmm. like in Texas, for example, there are literally planes and, you know, caravans of transport of uh -huh. healthy, non-behavioral problem. I shouldn't say problem, but animals without any behavior concerns, just general, easily, highly adoptable animals yes. that are caravans um, you know, to other states, mainly in New England, where they don't have, where they have spay-neuter laws, and so they don't have a big oh. glut of homeless animals, and they go up to adoption. They go up for adoption up there. there. Yeah, and they do big transports from the south up I've to New England seen that on some of the rescue shows and so, other states. Yeah. So if you're struggling with resources to get your pet spayed or neutered, there are several places in town that will work with you and are reasonably priced. The face clinic. Mm -hmm. We've actually used it. The humane society, um, Indie humane on the North side and Indie humane downtown, which is a vaccination and spay neuter oh. clinic, spay neuter services of Indiana, West Michigan street vet clinic. Um, you can contact Indie cares for potential help through a voucher to get your pet spayed or neutered. And mm -hmm. talk to your own vet if you already have a vet you trust about yeah. spay-neuter and what you can afford. Um, if you're having trouble with, with the funds, see what else you can do to, to make that happen. Sure. People are also have a perception that um, cats and dogs have to be much older to mate. They can have puppies very young. Yes. It's very hard on the mom, and it's very hard on the kittens or puppies. Sure. Well, yeah, because I remember seeing a dog that they thought was maybe one years old. Yeah. It was actually Jingles. And they thought she had already had two litters. Yeah. And I was like, it's heartbreaking. Possible? It's like a teenage <laughs> mom. But we, I mean, we had a cat. Um, she wandered up one day. She kind of was just like hanging out. We we're like, we need, she's, she's kind of like adopted us. And this was a while ago. And we went to go get her spayed and neutered at face. And they're like, you're too late. And she was I, maybe six months old. And so we had to wait until after she had her kittens and then get her spayed and neutered. And we actually went to face. But yeah. And it's incredibly important, you know, with cats, especially stray cats, because their mating cycle and how many litters they can have and at such a young age is enormous. And it's just exponential how many yeah. kittens they can be responsible for. Yes. And then if we can stop that cycle, we can focus our care on the ones that are already here that are already in need of services without bringing literally thousands more to the plate. And you're coming up on that season. We are. The kittens are coming. Mm -hmm. So if you're mm -hmm. interested in adopting a kitten, give nice. us a couple months and we're going to be flooded. Yeah. 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 Your whole front area is full of kittens stacked. We're starting Possible. We're starting to see it. We had, I think it was 18 cats come in on Monday, which is a big spike from what we've normally oh. seen. We'll start to see like really high intake, intake days of yeah. cats and kittens in the early, early spring, late winter. Sure. And that's kind of our indicator in the next couple of weeks, we're going to just see a flood right. of pregnant moms, kittens yeah, coming and to our door. Yeah. And the dogs. Yeah. I mean like our own dog that we got came to you in a bucket. 
Yeah, they were so cute. I'll never, I saw them come in and it was a door. They were in this plastic blue bucket. They were just sitting there just looking up. I think I have a picture on my phone somewhere of them in their bucket because it was just adorable. And this woman, I mean, she said she found them. Who knows? Right. Uh, And she brought them to the shelter, but they were just two little peas in the pot. It was funny because his name ended up being blue. Yeah. And then we found out later he was in a blue bucket. He was in a blue bucket. Blue bucket. And his sibling went to um, Indy Humane and yeah. you know, was adopted through there. Very so, fast. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Spay and neuter people. I encourage everybody to do it. And keep your pets. 